gone through where we were last week. Two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 2. And that psalm begins with a picture of, of the earth, what is happening in the earth, and it shows us a picture of heaven. It shows the raging nations and then the God who, who laughs. <laughs> it begins by asking a question, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And so we see this commotion on earth, this revolt that's taking place, and it's something that's common uh, throughout the ages that there have been those who would try to cast off the bands that they see them as God's way and, and fight against our Lord. But even though there is commotion on earth, we go to verse 4 and we see tranquility in heaven, even laughter in heaven at what they're doing. He says, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. He will, they, he will actually mock them. He will, he's not at all, fr you can tell here, he's not at all frightened by what is happening on earth, by the kings or the nations or the heathen that were raging and plotting against him. The Lord simply laughs, and he says in verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You see, the kingdom of God is still marching on. It's still secure. It's still going forth, even though the nations are raging against the king and his kingdom. Do you all see that this morning? That, that brings me peace to think about that. So we get to Psalm 3, where we looked last week, and David is fleeing from Absalom, his son. He's David has, has sinned. David has fallen short of what a king is to be or how a man of God is to act, and there are consequences to his actions, and his own son has risen up against him, and he's been forced to flee from his throne, and he pins these words, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. We see that David's in the midst of a troubling time. He says there's many that have increased to trouble me. He's facing what we all face from time to time. You know, Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, that in this world you shall have tribulation. It was a, it's a shall of the Bible. We like the shalls of the Bible, right? Like when the angel came to Joseph and said, She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Joseph, for he shall save his people from their sins. I like that one, don't y'all? Well, here's one where the Lord is saying that in this world you shall have tribulation. Um, in the book of 2 Timothy, I just thought of this verse. Um, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says in verse 12 of 2 Timothy 3, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. That's what we're trying to do, right? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So those are some of the shalls of the Bible that are also just as, as strong as the shall in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, that you shall see persecution, you shall see tribulation, and David is in the midst of troubling times, distressing times. And he says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? But he takes the break there with Selah. That's just a, a, a when you see that S-E, 
L-A-H, Selah, Selah. It's a pause, really, to stop and think about what has been said before, to contemplate what has been said. But he pauses there in the midst of his trouble, in the midst of those that are saying to his own soul, there's no help for you in God, in the midst of the tribulation around him. And he says, but, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. And we looked last week, and I won't, I won't go back to that, but we looked at how David used that shield of faith. Paul talks about the shield of faith in Ephesians chapter 6, where we can quench the fiery darts of, of the wicked. David is using that shield and looking to God as his glory and the lifter up of his head. The reason that David could lift his head is because he saw the Lord as his shield and his glory. And he pauses again and he says, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. And so you have all the tribulation and the trouble that's around him, but yet you see peace within him. Do y'all see that? He, he says, they're troubling me. They're saying to me there's no help in God. But I'm looking to you, Lord, and the result of that is in verse 5, that I can lay me down and sleep. This doesn't sound like a man who was just rattled with anxiety about everything that was going on around him, does it? Sounds like a man who had, who had it together. It sounds like a man who was facing trouble in the way that I want to face trouble. A man who had the proper perspective that he could sleep in peace at night. And he, he says, he's just resting in the care of a sovereign God. He says, I awaked. For the Lord sustained me. He's got the proper perspective in his mind. That, that Now think about this. He's been driven away from his kingdom. He's probably sleeping under the stars. He's not, he's not at a four-star hotel. He's not, he's, he, he doesn't have a nice pillow <laughs> to rest his head upon. But yet he could still just sleep. And he says, and I awaked, and the Lord sustained me. He, he, gives, he gives glory to God even in the fact that he woke up in the morning. <laughs> Think about that. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, I believe it is. He says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. Here David is recognizing that even when he wakes from his sleep, he can glorify God for that. Y'all see that? Every morning you begin to, to gain consciousness. It's a, it's a new opportunity to give glory to God. When are you most vulnerable? <laughs> when you're asleep, right? You don't know what's going on around you. At least I'm that way. <laughs> I can remember when we had, uh, when our children were small. The Carters know about this. They've got Brother Thompson. Joshua and Abby are probably finding out about this. They don't, they don't sleep through the night, do they? They don't come out sleeping through the night. And I remember there'd be many times I'd wake up in the morning and say, Oh, Carrie. Bo slept through the night, or every grace slept through the night. And she'd say, no, they didn't. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I didn't know what was... Carrie was up, the kids were crying. I had no idea any of that was going on. I was asleep and very vulnerable. The other day, Bo came down, and um, I think he wanted something, either to play a video game or, or get some more Sprite. I can't remember exactly what it was, and... Um, he had asked his mother, and she had said no. So what, what does a kid do when you ask your mother and they say no? He, come, he came to ask me. 
I didn't know he'd asked his mom. And what does a smart dad say when a kid comes and asks the dad if they can have something? I said, what did your mom say? <laughs> to which he responded, Dad, I heard you say in a sermon one time that the man was the head of the house. <laughs> At least he's listening. And I said, that's true, Bo, but the head of the house has to sleep with his wife, and she could kill me, <laughs> and I'd never know it. You're very vulnerable when you sleep. Sleep is, um, you know, sleep is, is a blessing from God, isn't it? Um, the Bible even talks about sleep. Sleep can be sleep, rest, relaxation. It can be addicting, can it? Um, the Bible warns about it. I wrote down Proverbs 20 and verse 13 says, Love not sleep. That's rest, relaxation. Lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. I think what he's saying there, the golden life isn't just to relax all the time because we're called to be productive people, right? That's, that's one of the first calls that God had on man to go forward and be productive. Even to Adam and Eve, go forward. And be productive, and it can become, it can become, relaxation can become addictive. Um, Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 6, it says, go to the ant. Now listen, this is one of the smallest creatures that, that the Lord created, the ant. But it's there for a purpose. And he's saying, go look at the ant. You can learn from the ant. Thou sluggard person, that's, that's, that's uh, who's being addressed, thou sluggard. That's, the, that's a lazy person. Consider her ways, the ways of the ants, and be wise, which having no guide or overseer or ruler provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will you arise out of your sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travails, and thy want as an armed man. He's saying he's warning against being lazy, basically. If I can just put it in common terms. And so sleep can be, rest can be addictive, but also sleep and rest is, is a gift from God. There's a, there's a psalm that says, he giveth his beloved sleep. It's a gift that God has given us. You can you could Google the benefits of sleep. I did that last week, and, and it said it boosts your immune system, it helps regulate your weight, maintains a better mood, <laughs> strengthens your heart when you sleep, it regulates your blood sugar, you can recover faster from an injury just because you sleep. What if God wouldn't have given us sleep? <laughs> Think about it. We'd all be in a bad mood, wouldn't we? <laughs> Do we lose an hour next week? Y'all better go to bed earlier because <laughs> you need your sleep. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest benefits of sleep, this gift from God, is it's just a fresh start in the morning. Have you ever gone to bed just in a bad mood? in a sour mood, maybe with all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of whatever it may be, and you wake up, you just feel better. That's a gift from God, isn't it? L listen to Psalm 30 and verse 5. It says, For his anger endures for a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's amazing what a night's sleep will give you. In Lamentations, it says that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Every morning is an opportunity to start over. Every morning is an opportunity to praise God. Every morning is an opportunity. You've you got a fresh slate every morning, don't you? If you messed up yesterday, 
you can start the, you can start the next day on, a, on the right path. Now, I want to ask this question this morning. Here, when David says, I laid me down and slept, I awaked for the Lord sustained me. We know that the Lord sustained him. The Lord providentially watched over him. There were people that were out for his life trying to take over his kingdom. And he says, the Lord watched over me. In his providence, he sustained me. He kept me alive. But I, I want to ask this question. Did, did God put him to sleep? Now, I want to think about that. Because God can put people to sleep, right? He put Adam to sleep, didn't he? It, it says in Genesis chapter 20, or Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. But here, David says, I laid me down and slept. It doesn't say, God put me to sleep like he did Adam. Preachers can put people to sleep. Um, I think it was Eutychus in, in Acts chapter 20. It says, Paul was long in preaching, and he fell asleep. Now, here's a warning against falling asleep in church. He actually fell out and died. So y'all stay awake. I've seen people go to sleep. <laughs> Brother O.C. McDade, I'll, he would sit right over there. Wonderful man. I miss. And I remember one afternoon service, I'd started preaching. And he was, we had come up from lunch, and he was walking towards the doors. And I figured, I mean, he was in his late 80s at the time, and you know church can be long and we'd had morning service and lunch and we were about to have afternoon service and I was preaching and I, I don't know if I can preach now but I surely couldn't preach then and he was I said brother OC are you leaving and he said no I can sleep just as well here as I can at home <laughs> preachers will put people to sleep but I don't believe I don't believe God just put David to sleep I believe God gave David a peace where David could rest in God. In, in the book of Philippians, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, when you're casting your cares upon him, when you're seeing the Lord is your shield and your glory and the lifter up of your head and you're and, and you're not you're 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 not you're not faced with all that anxiety because in everything by prayer and supplication you're 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 making your request known to God you're casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you right and and it says in that process of putting your faith in God that you will find a peace that passes all understanding, all understanding. It was last year, I remember a, a video, I sent, to, I sent it to several of you, uh, there were the tornadoes in Kentucky, you know, one of, it was, it was the day that the Dawson Springs Primitive Baptist Church was destroyed. Uh, they had all those horrible tornadoes come through Kentucky, and there was, there was a man who came back to his home, and it was destroyed, basically, but his piano was still there. And in, the, in the middle of his home that they were just going to have to level, he was playing hymns and singing praise to God on his piano. That gives me chills to think about. He had a, he had a peace that passes understanding. Do you all see that? He had a peace that couldn't be rattled by the things that were happening around him. He had a peace that wasn't relying on his earthly circumstances for that peace. He had a peace that only comes from God. And that's what David is displaying here. 
He has a peace where even though there are troubling times around him, he could lay down and sleep because he knew that the same God who was laughing at the ones who were raging against him on earth is the same God who was out for, for his good and for David's care and for David's providence in David's life. And so he says, I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Listen to the confidence that David has. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. See, when you begin to trust in God for your care, you begin to stop fearing what men can do to you or what men may think about you. See, you can't, it's, it's impossible to both fear God and fear men. It's impossible to do that, especially when, when, most, when most of the men that we fear have no fear of God themselves, right? You can't do both. Paul would talk about that in the, in the book of Galatians. You can go read that, that he's not out to please men. He's out to please God. Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says this, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Do y'all see that? I laid me down and slept. I awake. The Lord sustained me. I'll not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves uh, around me. Against me, round about, you, you can say the same with David. Because the, the, the fear of man, when it says that's a snare, that's, that's a trap, right? It, it'll trap you, and it'll, it'll have you, and it, it, will, it will not let you go. It's, it, is, it is debilitating to always be concerned about what other people are thinking about you, and what other people could, could do to you, it is debilitating. It is a snare. Just as if a, a, an animal that is trapped in a snare has become the prey of some hunter, so is the fear of what other men think about you or could do to you. But, it says, whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Do y'all see that? Shall be safe safe you will find security and peace in that now i don't i don't believe that necessarily means that that god will deliver you in the way you want to be delivered right god has a god throughout the the the, the bible and throughout history god has an interesting way of delivering his people and it was probably never the way they thought they should be delivered but yet if you can place your trust in god if you can place your faith in god you will find that even in the worst of circumstances, you still feel God's safety. I, I want to I show you an example of this that we're all familiar about. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 3 for just a moment. This has to be one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And in it, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has erected this golden statue and he's he's made a decree that everyone when they hear the music that he that, that's going to be played that everyone would bow down and worship this this image and in verse 8 you see that there's some Chaldeans that come back to they come back to Nebuchadnezzar to accuse the Jews and and I love this in verse 12 it says this is this is the Chaldeans response a report back to Nebuchadnezzar who has decreed that everyone will fall down and worship this image that he's he set up the, the, the Chaldeans say there are certain Jews 
whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I love that they come back and they say they are certain Jews who will not bow down to your overreaching government. Just certain Jews. There's a, there's a few particular Jews. See, it wasn't all the Jews. It was just a certain few Jews. And he, he names them there. I, I, I really believe we need more certain Jews in our country that won't bow down their knee to overreaching governments, to overreaching people in power who want to take things that are not theirs. Jesus Christ said this, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And render under God what is God's. What is God's. Let, let me listen to this. How you worship. How you raise your family. The things you, you do with your body. Those are not Caesar's. Those are yours. Well, excuse me. Those are God's. And your body and your family. And you are responsible to God. You, you pay your taxes to, 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 to build our roads or to fund our schools or whatever they say to do. That's Caesar's business. But you are God's. And we need more people that will stand up for that. I truly believe that. We need more certain Jews. And so in, in verse 13, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, when we had these certain Jews, he comes to them. And, and listen, he comes in rage and fury. Do you all see that? Does that sound like Psalm 2? Why do the heathen rage? And he's mad because they have a God that is not him. <laughs> if there's anything that, that rulers and powers and, and, and governments hate, it is people that have gods that are not them. <laughs> do y'all see that today? Do y'all see that happening in our world? The government is trying to become people's gods. They're trying to, they're trying to take God out of society. They, they've, they've done a good job through the, through the media and academics and, and, and the powers that be in our country. They've done a good job of labeling historic Christianity as hate speech because they want to remove God from the public square. And the one thing they hate is people who will not go along with it. And so when Paul would say things like, the, uh, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution, Throughout the, the history of the world, it has come from those in power persecuting those who would not bow down to them. The ones who would not say Caesar is Lord, but that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do y'all know what a radical statement it is when Paul would talk about the Lord Jesus Christ? When, when, when Caesar was saying, no, I am Lord, and, and everybody in Rome has to bow down to me, but they would not bow their, people would not bow their knee to that ruler, but they bowed their knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that had been set up in Zion, as Psalm 2 says. Those are the people that are going to suffer persecution. And here, these three certain Jews would not bow down, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in in his rage and his fury, and he commands them that they are going to bow. He basically says, I'm going to give you one more chance. He says, if you be ready, when you hear all the music, and you bow down and worship the image, well... That's verse 15. Well, it'll be okay. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God 
that shall deliver you out of my hands. Doesn't that sound a lot like Psalm 3 and verse 2 where there were many that were saying to the soul of David, there is no help for them in God? Nebuchadnezzar is saying, who is that? The, the, the powers that be are mocking the God that we love. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, listen to their response. Whoever puts his trust in the Lord is safe. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. There's no anxiety in what they're going to say. There's not, they're not worried about what they're going to say. Their minds are made up. And they say this, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able. He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He's able to deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Do y'all see that? That is, that is a fulfillment of Proverbs 22 and verse 25 when it says, Whoever puts their trust in the Lord shall be safe. That's when you can say, you can say to the king or whatever is facing you, My God's able to deliver us, but even if he chooses not to, we still won't worship your gods. We're still going to worship the true and living God. Like, like in, the, in the book of Job, it says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That is a total submission. That's going all in on the Lord, isn't it? That's what we need. More people go, I need to go, I need to go all in on the Lord. I need to go all in for his kingdom. Brother Mark prayed. That was a wonderful prayer as we transitioned in our service today when he confessed openly that he had not sought him with his whole heart. Isn't that all of us? That we haven't given everything we can to the Lord? May, may the Lord help us to do that. May we trust in him for safety. Listen to verse 7. David says, Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. He cries out to God, Arise, O Lord, and save me. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on, on the Psalms and the treasury of David, uh, he, he mentioned that in this psalm, the Lord is called to be stirred up. David's stirring up the Lord. <laughs> I liked that. Arise, O Lord, save me. What a, what a, think about that for just a moment, that through prayer and through petitions and requests to God we can stir up the God of this universe who will be for us and, and to help us and to deliver us and he says arise O Lord the people of God are to call on God to stir up God to save them to deliver them and then he says for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly David, David, I believe David's here probably thinking about the time that, that, that God directed that stone to the head of that giant. <laughs> when, when, when all around him in Israel were, 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 they were scared and they wouldn't go out to face uh, this giant who was standing against Israel and standing against their God. And David, as a little shepherd boy, came up and asked this question. This, this, this question, I love this. Is there not a cause? Remember that? He asked all the, Saul's there, all the leaders of Israel there, and all the leaders have let him down, and here comes this young shepherd boy just to bring food to his brethren. <laughs> and he sees this scene, and he says, is there not a cause? Boy, you talk about revival. I believe, I believe God, we were talking about revival uh, before prayer requests. I believe God could use 
God could start a revival with a lot of people that had that attitude, right? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Does Christ not have a cause in this world? Does Christ not have a church in this world that I'm, I'm called to support and I'm called to promote and I'm called to love his people? Is there not a cause? God could work with those type of people. And God did work with that type of person. And God sends him out with just a five stones and a sling against, against a giant. And he slays him right there. And I believe David's thinking about that. David's thinking about how he took Jerusalem and the, and the you know, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and all these nations that God had delivered into his hands. He's thinking back on those things as he's in the midst of trouble. He's reflecting on the past victories. And I'm telling you, reflecting on how God has delivered you in the past will strengthen your faith for the future. It really will. Do y'all ever think back on how God has delivered you in the past? And it gives me peace in the future. Does that work for y'all? When I think about God's providence in my life, it's, it's amazing, and I've, 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 just, I've tried to notice that when I've had conversations with people over the last few months about their lives, and, and, and here's one thing I can tell to the young or the old. Everybody you meet, their life didn't turn out the way they had planned. But I find a lot of people in the church that their life has turned out a lot better than they had planned. There were a lot of ups and downs, but you go ask somebody who's lived it. They'll say, I could see God in the midst overruling things that that I wanted to do <laughs> how many of y'all are thankful that God overruled your plans there's a song that says if you want to hear God laugh tell him your plans <laughs> it's God will blow up your plans but in the midst of all of your plans God is God is for his people he'll chasten you it's for your good isn't it he may there may be tribulations in your life but it'll be for your good it'll work patience it'll bring about hope it'll make you a better person and so David's reflecting upon the past victories and then I, I want to get to verse 8 and we're going to close with this verse and I believe this is the key verse to understanding how David could have such almost supernatural peace in the midst of so much trouble here it is Psalm 3 and verse 8, David says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. He says, stop and, and think about that. And the reason that David could have this extreme confidence in God during these earthly trials is, is because I believe God trusted, or David trusted that God had already taken care of his eternal problem. You know, you've got one problem that is bigger than any problem you've ever had. And that is, before a holy God, you have been found guilty, not holy, a transgressor, a sinner. And people who are not holy, people who have broken God's law, cannot live with him in eternity. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter how the heathen are raging or how you're being persecuted. Whatever it is, that is your biggest problem in life. And when you can understand that God by himself has already taken care of that problem, it makes the other problems look a lot smaller, doesn't it? And so David cries out. He says, salvation belongs 
unto the Lord. You know what, you know what kind of salvation David believed in? Grace alone. <laughs> Do y'all see that? Salvation doesn't belong to man. Salvation isn't in the hands of sinners. Salvation wasn't in the hand of David. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. And for people that can see that, it brings about that deep peace that others do not have. I have met people in my life. I know people. I love people that do not have that peace of knowing that salvation ultimately belongs to the Lord. I have known people that struggle at night. They struggle when they're alone thinking, did I really do it right? Did I really accept him as I should have? Am I really living as I should have? And, they, and the, the devil has, has, has gotten into their minds to, to, to make them believe that somehow their salvation is dependent upon something they do or something they believe or some prayer they pray or some way they live. And that is a snare, isn't it? That is bondage. I've met people who, who, who tell me they cannot sleep at night worried about the salvation of their loved ones and worried about whatever it may be. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's not something that God gave us to worry about. <laughs> We're never supposed to worry about that. David wasn't worried about that. David declares salvation belongs to the Lord. And with that sweet peace, you can face anything that comes your way. I want to I I go to, to 2 Samuel chapter 23 for just a moment to show you that, that, that David, although he didn't have the, 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 the scriptures that we have today, he had this great revelation that salvation was by grace alone. Second <laughs> Samuel chapter 23, it says, Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, And the man of God who, who, who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. David is saying, by the, by the Spirit of God, God has spoken unto me, saying that those that rule over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. He's saying they have to be just. And then he talks about their purity. They should be like the, the light of the morning. They, they should be like clouds. Or, or, you know, a morning without clouds. Be like the grass that springs up after a, after a rain that's shining. Just a, a pure picture of what man should be. And then he says in verse 5, Although my house be not so with God. Don't you think David was reflecting upon I remember what I did with Bathsheba. I remember how I had Uriah. Just like he was reflecting earlier about, about what, uh, how God had led him over to conquer David and led him to take Jerusalem. He's probably thinking on his deathbed, I remember all that, but yeah, I remember what I did. 
that time when I should have been at war, but I sent Joab, and I saw things that I shouldn't see, and I did things that I shouldn't do. And I remember how then my, 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 my son took my own daughter, and then my other son killed him, and then Abdon tried to, or Absalom tried to uh, usurp my authority and steal my kingdom. I remember how much I've messed up my life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I know the call on God's people is to be just and to be pure, but it is not so with my house or with me. Can anybody relate with David? Thinking, I, I can see what God has called me to be, but when I look at my life, I know it is not so with my house. And he says, although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. That is the covenant of grace. David is looking into the, the foreknowledge and the predestination and the the calling and the justification and the glorification that we so richly love and embrace, the covenant of grace which God entered into by himself, the triune God entered into by himself. He covenanted with himself. He obligated himself before the world ever began to save an innumerable host of people. David is looking into that, and he can see that his house, that his life has not met the standard that, that God has set, but he says, yet he hath made with me. And, and David and you and I and all of God's people, we are just the beneficiary of this covenant. We in no way play a part in the covenant or have to take up a part or take part in this covenant to make it effective because he says this, this covenant is ordered in all things and sure. You see, if man would have been involved in this covenant, David couldn't say that this covenant was ordered in all things and sure because if there's one thing man knows how to do, it's to mess up. It's to fall short. It's to, it's to, it's to make things that are beautiful impure. And so David says, this covenant is ordered in all things and sure. Now listen to this. For this is all my salvation. Do y'all see that? It is all my salvation, he says. My salvation, my hope for heaven, my hope for living in eternity with God, David said, is all wrapped up in the everlasting covenant. I put no emphasis on what I have done. I put no credence into the prayers that I have prayed or the, the holy uh, good things that I have tried to do or any kind of work of righteousness that I have ever attempted to make. I put no credit in any of that because all my salvation and all my desire to hear about and learn about is the everlasting covenant. Do y'all see that? The things that we hold dear here today are the same things that were bringing peace to the heart of David in the midst of all his trials. The word of grace, the gospel of grace, the everlasting covenant, the doctrines of grace. And I'm going to tell you today, when you look, at, when you look out at the world and you say, what is going, y'all ever do that? Y'all ever, ever watch the news at night and say, what is going on? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's, there's a peace that passes all understanding that is available to me and available to you in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials. And the, and the first step in finding that peace, I believe, is focusing on this covenant, this covenant-keeping God 
who, is, who, is, who has saved us by his grace and through his works, not ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your grace that was given unto us before the world ever began, before we ever took our first breath or took our first steps, before we were ever born or thought of, you loved us. Help us to understand that better, to, to the glories of your grace, that, that it is so far beyond what we can even imagine, and it is so big, and your love for us is so strong that even when we fall short, we can just repent towards you and run towards you, not away from you. We can run towards you for strength and for comfort. Help us to be more like David when we see things aren't going our way, whether it be our nation or our families or our churches or our jobs or whatever it may be, that we would find peace like David did, that we could lay down at night and sleep. We could have confidence that you would bring us forward to another day and that we could say with him, salvation belongs to the Lord. Thank you for showing us that salvation belongs to the Lord. And we know there are many people even we know, people who we love, who, who, who have not seen that salvation is completely by grace and not experienced the sweet peace that comes with knowing that. And so may we be, as Paul was, that our heart's desire and prayer for our friends, for our family, for people we don't even know around here who are struggling under the bondage of salvation by works, that our heart's desire and prayers, they may be saved and delivered from that and be able to see that Jesus Christ alone, that God alone is their, their means of salvation and their righteousness. God, we, 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 we earnestly pray, we sincerely pray that you would open up doors of opportunity for us. You would send people to this church. You would send us to people. You would open up providentially just uh, areas that we don't even know about, whether it be with people we know, friends, family, coworkers, or people we've never met that we could tell them about. Oh, there's this church that we love that preaches this message of God's grace and God's finished work and God's victorious Savior and all the peace that we find in that, and that they would come amongst us and experience that and be saved in their hearts and their minds and to feel that peace that comes with knowing that Jesus Christ is enough. God, that is our prayer. We thank you that you've revealed it unto us. Continue to show us how far we fall short, but how gracious and merciful you are to us. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a song at this time, and if you'd like to come forward and, and unite with our church through baptism, uh, you can come forward and make that request known. Um, Brother Taylor, could you start number five for us?